0: Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. Are you looking for a great educational website? Then go to McClanahanacademy.com. That's McClanahanacademy.com. Enroll free of charge. Get a free class 10 minutes of American history when you do enroll. Look, I've got awesome classes there classes on the Constitution, classes on the Civil War, classes on secession, classes on American history. A whole slew of great stuff just waiting for you. Go to McClanahanacademy.com, enroll. And get a real history education. Is America too big? Well, one progressive thinks we need to expand the House of Representatives. I'll talk about that on this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page, where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's b-r-i-o-n-mcclanahan.com. why you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free Audiobook of the same title, read by yours truly. You can support the show, of course, by going to McClanahan Academy. You've never heard about that, but... Go to BrianMcClanahan.com. Click on the support tab. You can throw a few pennies my way. Or if you're watching on YouTube, click on that little super thanks button under the video. Or you can go to Spotify for podcasters. You can subscribe to the show there. All those are great great ways to support the show financially. But as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you like it. Share it around on social media. Give it that five-star review. Leave a text review wherever you can. That does help get more people listening to the show. And if you're on YouTube, comment for the algorithm. That also helps boost it up so more people will see the show. And again, send me those show requests. I do want to see what you want to hear. All right, well, let's talk about this idea is America too big. Now, I've, look, one of the major themes of the show, of course, the major theme of the show is think locally, act locally. But I've talked a lot about ratios, and representative ratios and what I mean by that. And I actually did a whole show on this years ago, Uh, somewhere in the first year I was doing the podcast. I can't remember the exact episode number, but you can go back and find it. And I talked about how we have these ratio problems, representative ratio problems in America, and that when the Constitution was written, we had a representative ratio for the U.S. Congress at 30,000 to 1, because that was seen as effective Republican government. And of course, uh, at your state and local level, it was even better than that. And so over time, we've seen the representative ratio in the United States increase in the U.S. Congress to a point now where we're about 750,000 to one in many areas. So that's not real representative government. And this is why I've said from the beginning we need to be thinking locally and acting locally because you have more control over your state and local governments where most of the time your representative ratio is still in that 30,000 to 1 ratio somewhere in there maybe a little higher maybe a little lower in the case of California it's way out of whack but you still have more control over your state and local governments than you do the US Congress now all of that said if the United States Congress and if the Constitution was followed by the United States Congress the representative ratio really wouldn't matter as much So remember when the Constitution is written and then ratified, but when it's written, it's coming out of Philadelphia in September of 1787. This was one of the last changes made to the document. In fact, at that point, you had a representative ratio of about 40,000 to 1, and Washington said that was too high for good representative government, so they reduced it to 30,000 to 1. Now James Madison proposed an amendment that would have capped it around 50,000 to 1. It never would have gone over 50,000 to 1. So we know what that would do, and we'll talk about it in the article I'm going to look at today. But regardless, we had this idea that 50,000 to 1 was about as the highest you wanted to go for good representative government. Now, if we follow the Constitution as ratified, none of this would really matter because we have a general government for general concerns, meaning that we have a Congress that has no control over what happens in your local schools, what happens with your... Uh, your penal code? What happens with your criminal coming, I mean, any of that. It doesn't matter because the states could handle all those things. What happens with your marriage licenses? All of these issues that are now part of the culture war would be irrelevant at the quote-unquote national level because the U.S. Congress was never designed to handle those issues. Ever. That was the whole point. In fact, this is exactly how the Constitution was sold to the states. And There's plenty of evidence out there that this is the the case. All you got to do is go back and start with James Wilson's State House Yard speech. But you can go to all of the public pronouncements in favor of the Constitution. And I don't care if you're talking about the most nationalist of nationalists like Alexander Hamilton or James Wilson or even James Madison at the beginning of the ratification process. All of these people insisted that the states would be in control of their quote-unquote domestic concerns. And that wasn't just slavery. As all the lefties like to say, well, they just wanted that because of slavery. It was all kinds of things. It was your jails. It was your schools. It was things we would think about today, like your sewer and your water and all this stuff that was handled at your state and local level. The general government was there for general concerns, and that was two things, commerce and defense. So a representative ratio of, say, 30,000 to 1, 40,000 to 1, even 50,000 to 1 would not be bad because at that point, You didn't need to have an understanding of all the little minute concerns going on in your state or local area because you were concerned about general trade policies and foreign policies if you were in the Congress or, of course, even in the executive branch. That was your concern. Your concern was not what a county in Pick Your State was doing when it came to uh, an issue of education and what was being uh, taught in schools. That didn't matter. In fact, over and over again, as the Nationalists tried to expand the power of the general government when they were in control of the of the executive branch or the Congress, it was continually thwarted by those who said this is not what the Constitution designed the Congress and the executive branch to do. And it wasn't just Southerners, it was also Northerners who were arguing this exact position. So, look, that's the idea of the Constitution. So what we've gotten over time, as we've expanded out, or representative ratio if we maintained that Constitution it really wouldn't matter that much um, you could say that well I mean to one is not a good representative ratio there's a reason why people don't feel empowered in Congress why it looks like big money and special interests are all in control of Congress because they are because most people don't have any kind of influence over that part of the governing process congressmen just don't care now, I think we see in some cases that you have some congressmen, some members of Congress that are more interested in what their constituents want than others, but in reality, you don't have much input into that, into that part of the governing process. So, a representative ratio this out of whack is a problem. But again, if we just had a general government for general purposes, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. Now, I've been arguing for a long time, for years on this show, and of course, others who think the same way I do and before me were saying that you know this this representative ratio thing is a problem there's no representative government so what we need to do is decentralize The progressives look at it in a different way the progressives are starting to realize that this representative ratio thing is also a problem but they don't want to decentralize they just want to add members to Congress and they want to do that because they believe that the Congress is the quote-unquote national legislature and it does need to regulate all the different minute concerns of the states and localities. And so our representative ratio is a problem because we don't have real representative government. And we need more representative government to have more democracy and more uh, of this top-down, one-size-fits-all government. So they're actually arguing the correct position that our representative ratio is out of whack. That is the first step. The second step, though, is to get them to understand that the United States Congress and the federal government are not designed to do what they're saying it should do. If they really want to change the way they think about uh, domestic policy in America, they need to start going and looking at their own states. Now, in some cases, these representatives are from areas that uh, may not have a chance for these progressives to really legislate at the state level. But in many cases, they are. They're coming from California. They're coming from New York. Last time I checked... Both of those states were under the control of Democrats, leftists, progressives who wanted to ensure they have their little progressive utopia in their own state. And we go back to say, you know, 2020 and and uh, Cuomo and and New York and all the things that happened in there, and how Cuomo was the hero of the left because he was using the powers of the state to thwart the Trump administration, and it was a renewed federalism. And then you've got Gavin Newsom, who is now the current darling of the left. I just saw a headline as uh, just before I went on to do this, that Newsom is going to run for president at some point. And uh, there's a real belief that Newsom has a shot to win the election at some point. Uh, I don't know if he's going to challenge Joe Biden. I think that Biden, is, as I've mentioned on this show before, is going to be the nominee um and you know robert f kennedy now has decided to throw his hat into the ring but he's not going to win he's not going to win the nomination so he's going to make enough noise though to maybe uh you know bring up some of these issues for the democrats but they don't care they want power and biden offers that path to power because he really is irrelevant the progressives can run the show and biden just is happy being president and eating ice cream that's what it comes down to but again i digress We've got an, a representative issue in America, not because we don't have enough members of Congress, but because we don't focus enough on the state and local level. So, let me get into this op-ed, though. This opinion piece at the Washington Post is written by a progressive named Danielle Allen. And she's been on this issue now for several editorials in a row. Uh, she, she wants to really talk about this issue, and I, I find that refreshing. Somebody is actually talking about our representative problem in America Of course, the reason she wants to do it, as I said before, is because she thinks we need to have more control for the Senate and that the Democrats don't have enough power in the Congress. And if we just expanded out the House of Representatives, they would get more representatives. And of course, they would have more power and possibly even control the Congress at that point. You see, this is all part of their plan to uh, mitigate the power of the Senate. They want to really abolish the Senate. What they would really like to do is make Senate districts uh, a, a way that they would nationalize these. So they don't really come from states anymore. You just create these larger Senate districts. Uh, and then you take away the power of the Senate. So there's all kinds of plans out there to try to reform the United States Congress because they want to make it more in line with their progressive worldview. So let me talk about this piece. She says, what if we increase the size of the House? Given that most of us are pretty frustrated with Congress, this might sound crazy, but growing the House of representatives is the key to unlocking our present paralysis and learning. I'm sorry, leaning into some serious democracy renovation. So again, this is what she's aiming for, right? So uh, unlocking—it's the key to unlocking our present paralysis. We grew the House of representatives. This is the solution because we want to have. National government, one-size-fits-all, top-down, and some serious democracy renovation. Now, why was the Constitution written in the first place? I mean, you have to go back and ask that question. One of the reasons was because the founding generation thought that the United States was too democratic. The Constitution was anti-democratic. They said it over and over again. This is going to destroy democracy. This is, going to, this is going to check democracy. This is going to make it to where we remove too much democracy. They wanted to have a system that was anti-democratic. I mean, literally, they, they said it openly. We want to have an anti-democratic system. So the argument here is that we need more democracy and that more democracy is going to help us. She says, I'm using my post column this year to explore why we are pulling apart as a people and how we can change that dynamic and come together. Well, that's actually really good use of this column. I I applaud Miss Allen for doing this. Just like I like Jamel Bowie's columns at the New York Times. In fact, I think he's the best columnist they have because at least he talks about some real issues at times. He also does some other ridiculous stuff. But he talks about some real issues about the nature and powers of the central government and federalism, decentralization. He talks about all this stuff. So maybe Miss Allen is going to do that this year. And actually, she has written a couple of columns about this. So I applaud her for this. Let's see what she comes up with as the year goes on. She said, In January, I wrote about our desperate need to renovate our democracy. It has endured for more than two centuries. Of course, this idea that we have a democracy is just completely stupid. It has endured for more than two centuries, serving us well in some ways and very imperfectly in others. We are still completing a critical transition to broad power sharing across communities and among citizens of all backgrounds, a broad power sharing. That's not really what democracy is. It's not a broad power sharing. It's one group of people getting 50 plus 1% and having power, and they can control the other 50% or 49%, whatever it is. It's not power sharing. That's not what the progressives want. Don't don't fool yourself. They don't want power sharing. They want power. And they don't want you, if you're not with them, to have any power whatsoever. That's the whole point. This is what Calhoun was talking about in his concurrent majority. He realized that those out of power, once they get power, are going to abuse power. And those that once had power or are not in power are going to use the Constitution as a way, as a shield. we got we got to protect our power. It's always about the minority group, whatever group that is, trying to protect themselves from the majority. So his concurrent majority, the supermajority idea, that was the point. We would have supermajorities to ensure that there was basically power sharing. If you have to have a supermajority to get anything passed, it's going to be something that everyone wants. That is real power sharing. But democracy the rule of the 50 plus 1 percent, when I say 50 percent plus 1, that's what I'm, not 51 percent, but 50 percent plus 1, that's not real power sharing. That's just simply one half of the population controlling the other half. It's just about power. Our institutions weren't originally built for this, and we have been cobbling on additions and extensions decade after decade. Now the pace of change is accelerated and all of our deferred maintenance is catching up with us. We need a plan for functional institutions of self-government in 21st century conditions. We all know it, but we're stuck. There's so much work to do. Where to begin? So she says, we all know that things are broken in America. Well, why are they broken? Because of nationalists like you? It wouldn't be broken if we had real federalism. Nothing would be broken. All of these issues we're talking about at the center would just simply be state and local issues. It would be for the state governments to decide. The center would be worrying about what we're doing in Europe, what we're doing in the Middle East. What's our trade policy? How can we have the most effective trade policy between the states and for international trade that would help boost economic growth in America. This is all we would be talking about. Taxes at the center would be extremely low. You'd probably pay much higher taxes at your state and local government than you already do because those areas will be doing the goods and services and providing the goods and things that you would want for your state and local area that would reflect the political culture of your state. Some states you would have more than others. And people could choose to live in which state they wanted to live based on the kind of tax structure or governing structure in those states all would have republican forms of government but each one would be free to do as it wished with most issues that that affect the people of those states at large that's the entire design of the general government you want to go back to a place where people don't fight as much over these things scrap nationalism it's the most destructive force in america It always has been. It's always been the thorn in the side of good American government. From the beginning, if you go back to the 19th century, this was always the problem. It was never the federalism, the federalists with lowercase f. It was never those people. It was the other people. She says, I propose we start with the first branch of government, the branch of the federal government that was designed by the framers to be closest to we, the people. Well, this is true, right? I mean, the the, the House was the only national part of the entire government. I mean, if you think about it, it, because it was the most democratic. But it was still selected by the states. It was still designed by the states. All of that still had the states in mind. As originally conceived, the House was supposed to grow with every uh, decennial census. James Madison even included in the Bill of Rights an amendment laying out a formula forcing the House to grow from 65 to 200 members, then allowing it to expand beyond that. This proposal actually stands as an open-ended amendment still available for state ratification, but the math it uses wouldn't work for the country's 21st century scale. So this is her, you know, she's saying, yeah, and it is still out there, right? Madison's amendment is still out there. The states could ratify this, and it would fix 50,000 to 1 as the permanent ratio for the House of Representatives, what that would mean, of course, is a huge House of Representatives. She actually talks about that. She says George Washington spoke just once at the Constitutional Convention. Some sick—that's a misnomer. It should be the Philadelphia Convention, and on its and on its final day, to endorse an amendment lowering the ratio of constituents to, of two members to thirty thousand to one. Right. The expectation was that good responsive represent, representation required allowing representatives to meaningfully know their constituents, constituents to know and reach the representatives in Congress to get its business done. Now, that wasn't exactly what he's talking about there. I mean, it was good representative government, but even 30,000 was much higher than what they had in every state in the United States at that point. You see, they're missing this link. 30,000 wasn't bad for what the Congress had to do, which was a couple of things. That was it all well, Congress really had the power to do. And you go back and look at all these debates and everything else. Yes, they started getting in things like a bank early on and this kind of stuff. But generally, all of these other issues that we wring our hands over, nobody even talked about that stuff in Congress. Why? Because it wasn't in the power of Congress. And even when you go into issues that became very contentious, and as, as uh, you started getting, for example, these petitions to discuss slavery in Congress, why were they tabled? They were tabled because Congress had no power on this. This is why the gag order was proposed by Northerners because they thought that this issue wasn't in the power of Congress to address. So why even talk about it? It's a waste of time. That was the point. It was a waste of time for a body that had no power on this issue. So all of these things are good to Congress. And congressmen like to do this because it makes them feel good about themselves. And they can get on camera and they can... They can, uh, they can cause problems, they can do things, they can, they can have sound bites, they can get on talk shows, they can do all this stuff. Most of the things these people talk about are not even the power of Congress at all. And so they do it because they're camera hogs, because they're power hungry, because that is the nature of the people now that go and sign up to be in Congress. And when I say sign up, they have to sign up to run, they have to choose to run, and they have to actively promote themselves. If somebody does that and they want that much power, you should question who these people are. She says, today House members represent roughly 762,000 people each. That number is on track to reach 1 million by mid century. Which, again, is, I mean, it is too big, right? That's out of whack. How do you fix that? Well, you can't really increase the size of the Congress. Really, you can't really do that. 435 members is about where you need to be. But a Congress that only has general concerns in mind could have a 1 million to 1 representative ratio. If all they have to do is have a free trade zone in the states and worry about who and how we're trading with other foreign entities and making sure we have a free trade zone between the states and then they have to worry about foreign policy if if that's all they have to do well you can have 1 million to 1 because I mean, at that point, they're not really doing anything. But we don't, we just don't have that. The number has gotten so high because the 1929 Permanent Apportionment Act has, as a de facto matter, capped the size of the House. The bill set the decennial reapportionment of the House on, on autopilot. It assigns the Census Bureau the job of reporting a new 435-seat apportionment plan for the House to the President following each decennial census. The President, in turn, simply reports the new apportionment to Congress, Congress can change this number if it wants to, but it has not wanted to for nearly a century now. Right, I mean, this is, of course, you look at the date, 1929. This is the Republicans in 1929. They cap the size of the Congress. Now, at that point, they probably thought, and I have to go back and and read the debates, but looking at who did it, uh, there was some discussion, I'm sure, about this would... (laughs) This would make it to where the, the Democrats would probably have less power. The Republicans were controlling the Congress at that point. They might have less power in that, in that plan. She says, as a result, we are the only organization for economic cooperation and development democracy. What the heck is that? OECD. What the, I've never even heard of that. But the only organization for economic cooperation and development democracy. What the hell is that I mean I have to ask this question who cares <laughs> this is weird to bring this up right that's a weird thing to say when you're talking about this issue who cares what Europe is doing what any other country in the world is doing who cares about all of that I don't uh, but sh- these progressives do well we're the only one of this uh, world government that doesn't do this you see this is the issue of progressives they what they want is bigger Top-down everything, right? They, want, they really want a world government. They think the United States need to fall in line with the rest of the world because they, they're much more pro- progressive than we are around the world in many issues. The culture war issue, you see, this is their mindset. Democracy that hasn't continuously adjusted the size of its legislative assembly over the past century. It also gives us the highest representative ratio of any OECD country by a long measure. Both the German Parliament and the British Parliament are larger than our House of Representatives, even though their populations are roughly one-quarter or one-fifth of ours. Why exactly was the House supposed to grow? So she's saying, even the Germans and the British do this better than we do. And they have a smaller population. Well, all right, that's true. They do have a smaller population. And they have more representatives. Because the United States is a federal republic. Now, you can say Germany was designed to be that. But Germany is, again, the size of a U.S. state. Same thing with with, uh, Great Britain. I mean, you could also say the British Parliament was designed to be a federal republic. This is exactly how the, this is the model that the founding generation was thinking about. Uh, If you go back and read Jack Green's books on American constitutionalism, this is what he brings up. But the fact is, they didn't have all of these sovereign states creating the center in any of this. It's always been a much more top-down structure. You cannot compare a federal or confederal system with the British or the Germans. They're different. This is where people don't, I mean, they've got Lincolnian nationalism on the brain all the time, and they can't see the distinctions. She says the Federalist Papers, a set of essays written to advocate for the new Constitution, explain its features via a set of key design principles. Energy, Republican safety, due dependence on the people, and a need to fuse the principles of popular sovereignty with a union of states. A growing House of Representatives was meant to advance all of these principles. The last part, though, is the important part, the union of states. That was, I mean, you just go to the Federalists, you're missing all of the other ratification debates. Again, at McClanahan Academy, I've got a whole course on this. Originalist papers where I talk about the original meaning of the Constitution, and that is the key to understanding it. The goal of energy meant the government needed to be able to get things done, but citizens also need to be protected in their liberties despite the energies of the government. That's the ideal of Republican safety. The principle of due dependence on the people meant officeholders should take their cues from voters, not donors, special interests, or party activists. The principle of popular sovereignty pointed toward a government frame that would flex and adjust with the ever-changing shape of the people. The principle of the association of states was meant to provide a stable foundation for the whole enterprise. No. (laughs) Again, she's missing some things there, particularly that union of states. Well, this is just a stable foundation, just a foundation there. That's all this meant. Now, that was the whole key to the whole government, right? If we weren't not going to have a union of states, then nobody was going to ratify this thing. The House was supposed to provide the necessary elasticity, turning over every two years and continuously growing. The Senate was to be a rudder, with only a third of its members potentially rotating out in any election cycle. The Senate was supposed to be the state check on the entire thing. It checks the legislative branch, it checks the executive branch, it checks the judicial branch. The states, in other words, check the entire process. It is the truly federal portion of the entire system, and it has the most power in the entire system. If you don't think so, just look at what it can do. That was by design. People again missed that. This started set of design principles for constitutional democracy was expanded with the post-Civil War amendments and Civil Rights era legislation and jurisprudence to include equal protection and universal inclusion. <laughs> I mean, they cannot get out of their way to talk about these ideas of quote-unquote inclusion, but that's not really what they want. They don't want inclusion, they want power. And that's what the Civil War Amendments and all these things were designed to do. It was designed to take power away from one group of people and give it to another group of people. And I'm not talking about race or anything like that. It was designed to take it away from the Federalists with a lowercase f and give it to the Nationalists who would control things from the center. That was the whole point. The whole point of the Civil War Amendments was to essentially get, at that point, African Americans voting in the South because they thought it would ensure permanent Republican power for decades to disfranchise white Southerners and to enfranchise black Southerners and make sure that the white Southerners could never really vote and that you would have a situation where Republicans could control the Congress and the executive branch for decades on end. That was the whole point. It's the only reason they did it. This is why Hiram Rose Revels said in, uh, was very critical of the Grant administration because he said, look, we're being used as pawns. It's all about power. They don't care about anything else. It's about power he was right taken as a full set these principles the original plus the 19th and 20th century editions are a good starting point for designing the institutions of self-government for free and equal citizens the bigger house is the renovation we need now to achieve alignment with all of them so that's it right we have to achieve alignment here bigger government bigger house is going to do this why this one renovation above all others four reasons first with today's day's high ratio of residents to lawmakers, representatives are too removed from the constituents. Constituent services are strained. Smaller districts would mean better responsiveness, which would align with the principles of popular sovereignty. So see, right now we have constituent services. <laughs> we, have, we don't have good customer service anymore for these representatives. Constituent services are strained. This would make it to where we have more input into our representatives. Why? And she tells you why. Relatedly, Congress has a much larger budget to track and manage and many more agencies to review than it did a century ago. You see, government's gotten bigger. One-size-fits-all government has gotten bigger and more powerful, and we need more localization of this, right? More control of a bigger system. Well, they have something for that. It's called state's. And the states can do all of this stuff. And I can guarantee you people know their local representatives better than they do their U.S. representatives. And if you really want to have good, effective government, you go back to the states and the localities. This is what I've been talking about for years. I am, I'm in agreement our representative ratio is way out of whack for the kind of government these nincompoops want. But that's the point. More House members would make for more effective legislative oversight of the executive branch. That aligns with the principles of Republican safety. Third, the smaller district, the less expensive the campaign, and the less politicians would be dependent on donors instead of the people, as the principle of due dependence requires. Fourth, a bigger house with smaller districts would enhance equal protection and inclusivity. More seats would mean more shots. Smaller districts would give candidates for minority groups and non-traditional backgrounds a more feasible path to electoral victory. So it's all about diversity, right? Now, this takes away the idea, of course, with smaller districts. Yeah, you probably have some of that. But, of course, we always know the states can gerrymander whatever they want. They can design these districts however they want. So it could be that or it could be something else. We don't know what would come out of this. The states control all of that. But what about the issue of energy? Wouldn't a bigger house make it harder to get things done? Here, the most important point is that the principles of inclusion requires us to learn how to operate on a larger scale than we have in the past. The principles of inclusion, that's not really what she wants, though. It's not about power sharing. It's about power. The principle of inclusion is a code word for we want our group to win over your group. And we want our 50 plus 1% to win over your 50%. That's what inclusion means. It means power. That's what we want. That's the whole point. That's what they're talking about here. She says, let's spend a bit of time on this. Over the past five years, I've chaired three large task forces, including one on civic education, as well as the American Academy of Arts and Sciences Commission on the Future of Democracy that motivates these columns. Well, that's a scary thought. This this woman is uh, chairing task forces on American education. That's dangerous. But anyways, each had a minimum of three co-chairs. We use this triumvirate structure to get a diversity of perspective into the leadership. We also, that wait, let me stop there. So three co-chairs. So Calhoun's idea of a dual mon- or dual presidency, I said, mon- uh, which is, no, 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 you can't do that. The left would never, no, 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 we can't have that. We can't have that. But we're willing to have three co-chairs any time. But we can't talk about reforming the presidency to have more than one president, or you know, this kind of concurrent majority or anything else. None of that's ever brought up. You want real federalism, go with a concurrent majority. You want to get back to the states and local governments having complete control over all of these issues that they should have complete control over, where we need to have a real discussion about federalism and what that means, and power, right? It's, it's all about power. What she's trying to get at here in this entire piece, understand, what she's saying is code word for I want more power. It's not about inclusion. It's about I want more power, And the left needs more power. We need more progressives in control. If we just could do that, it would be better. We also built bigger task forces than in the past era. Again, to optimize for inclusion of the full range of relevant viewpoints. Relevant viewpoints. See? I bet you that no one like us was on these task forces. Because those aren't relevant viewpoints. The only relevant viewpoints are the ones they think are relevant. We operated a committee of 40, where the number would have been set at 20 in another era. (gasps) Yeah. As we shifted to these scaled-up forms of operation, we introduced new tools. They included digital discovery tools such as instant polls and word clouds to bring a range of viewpoints to the surface. (laughs) Breakout groups and structured deliberations to make progress on specific questions and rapid prioritization exercises with sticky notes on wallboards. Now, if you've been in the corporate or education world, in the last decade, this is exactly what everyone's doing now. You go to these uh, think pair share conferences. Let's think pair share. You know what happens out of that? Nothing? Nothing. Nothing. This is all, I mean, we're using sticky notes and and we're using uh, word clouds. This is all garbage. Hey, I got an idea. You want to talk about what we could do with government? Let's go back to, I don't know, the idea of federalism, which was openly debated for about a year. And people said, this would be great for America because we can have local authorities handle local problems. And I guess you could think pair share in your city council meeting. You're talking about 40 people. Can you imagine doing this with 10,000 members of Congress? Because that's essentially what she's advocating. She's actually thinking, I, I take that back. She says that would be too big. But maybe 600, 700, 800, maybe even 1,000. Can you imagine? We're going to think pair share today in Congress. Let's get our sticky notes out and let's have a sticky note session and we'll do this. Let's have a word cloud in Congress. Power. What does that mean to you? <laughs> How stupid. These are small examples. Yeah, they work great for your local county council or city council meeting, but not for Congress. The point is that a host of new practices and tools are being developed as people learn how to carry out the work of deliberation in larger, more diverse communities. You don't need that. That's what the Congress is supposed to be there for. Debate, right? You could have people talk about things, and people could show their little boards and all the stuff they do in Congress. You could do all that stuff. You could still do all that stuff. You could have real debate. You don't need word clouds and think pair-share. In 1929, people might have thought it wasn't possible to do good work with an assembly of more than 435 people. But now, nearly 100 years later, much more is possible. It is? I mean, she doesn't really explain how that would be the case. Much more is possible. How? How? How would that be possible? Again, are we going to have, you know, word clouds and... And uh, think pair share is that what we're going to do in the halls of Congress? I mean, look, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez has sticky notes all over our door. So is that going to be? We're? we're just going to sticky note our doors, members of Congress. We're going to sticky note. Are these Congress people, by the way, where are they going to put all these offices and everything else? Are these people going to share offices? Are they going to, you know, buddy up? I-, I think what we should really do. You want to make Congress not want to do its, not want to be there very often go back to the system they had in the 19th century where you had to bunk up with each other share a room a boarding house and you would go in and that what you would you wouldn't have all these you know you wouldn't have your own place to go in these kind make congress uncomfortable <laughs> that would be great in contrast our current cap of 435 means our national legislature well it's not really national legislature now is it no longer adjusts and shifts in meaningful ways with population changes Lack of proximity to representatives leaves constituents in an information vacuum about officeholders easily filled by polarizing national narratives and misinformation. The ever-growing size of districts reinforces the power of incumbency and money. We have rigidified ourselves to a breaking point. This year, two representatives have filed bills to enlarge the House. Representative Earl Blumnauer, Democrat, Oregon has filed the Restoring Equal and Accountable Legislatures in the House Act. And Representative Sean Caston, Democrat, Illinois, has filed the Equal Voices Act. Let's take their proposal seriously. One of these, in fact, what it would do is um, they would add back in the seats that have been lost to the census. So in other words, all of these Democrats that have lost seats would get their seats back. That's the point because as you know things have shifted to say from California to Texas or from New York to Florida, well those areas have grown representatives and the leftist states have lost people so what they want to do is give these leftist states back their representatives So you know what's going to happen Democrats would control Congress That's the whole point. I got a better idea Why don't we have an act to uh, restore federalism which would mean that most of what the federal government does is unconstitutional let's just cut that out that would be a better thing. She says, we need the dynamism, flexibility, and elasticity. By fixing the house, we can break the gridlock, and then we can start to fix other things. Bigger is better. Remember, I started this podcast, Is America Too Big? She says, no, bigger is actually better. But with better representative ratio. I say bigger is not better, bigger is worse. And that perhaps... uh, We need to restore federalism in America. That's thinking locally and acting locally. Two different ideas. One is to have more nationalism. One is to have more federalism. Which one are you going to side with? See you tomorrow on the Brian Hand Show. See you then.